0: God bless, everybody. I'm your host of OPP, Corey Cambridge. And before we get started with this amazing episode, I want to tell you about my other show, Silent Giants. Silent Giants is a podcast that highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. Ever wondered who made the MTV logo? Did you know the person who wrote Earth, Wind & Fire's hit song September? Also wrote the theme song for the hit 90s TV show Friends? On well, Silent Giants, we learn more about these amazing people and dig deep to learn more about their most famous works. Be sure to check out Silent Giants on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Now, let me introduce you to our special guest of OPP.
1: My name is Robert Moore. I'm the writer, reporter, and host of Wondery's Over My Dead Body, Season 2, Joe Exotic. And this is OPP.
0: God bless everybody and welcome back to another episode of O.P.P. Other people's podcast highlights America's top podcasters and the dope shows they created. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Our special guest this episode is Robert Moore, host of season two of Wondery's hit podcast, Over My Dead Body. This six-part series tells the story of Joe Exotic, the story of a man who has devoted his life to raising and breeding tigers, lions, and other exotic animals his feud with an animal rights activist, and the messy and outrageous conflict that leads to attempted murder. Robert stopped by to chat about his career as an author, how he teamed up with Wondery, we get his podcasters' picks, and of course, we get into his dope show, Season 2 of Over My Dead Body. So allow me to introduce you to Robert Moore. What's up, Robert? How's it going, man? Dude, everything is everything, dog. First of all, before we even get started, you know not rappers say you could be anywhere in the world, but you're here with me. You know that that famous phrase, yeah, yeah, that I just butchered. Yeah. Well, first Jay-Z, of all, who is that? You I think, think it's Jay Z right now. Yeah. I think like everyone says it. <laughs> I think it's like you have to say it at least like in your raps one time. Yeah. Um, but literally today, you could be anywhere, but you're here with me. It's your birthday. That's right. Happy birthday, bro. Thank you. I, I feel extremely honored that you have made the time today to come out. Thank you. Thank you. I am honored to be here. This is fun. How old are you turning? I'm turning thirty five. Thirty five, dog. You look yeah. like a young man, Playboy. Thank you. I told
1: you, I live in the Pacific Northwest, so, you know. Keeps you that, young. All, all that rainy All the aloe air. and yeah. vitamin D. There's no sun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, nah, man, it's amazing. What do you want for your birthday?
1: I don't know. You know, I got some of those, um, those Beats, those little wireless headphones. Okay. It's the first time I've ever had wireless headphones. It's life-changing.
0: Oh, it like,
1: is. I, did, I had no idea what I was missing until I... Like, I just repainted my whole house, and I completely ruined them, got paint all over them. You know, it kept unplugging. It was a nightmare. And now I'm like of so those things you think you don't need, and then you get it, and you're like, "This is awesome! I'm never going back."
0: Also, on your birthday, the Kanye album dropped.
1: That's right. I listened to. it. I took a nap while listening to it today.
0: How do you think? Does that, does that mean it's good?
1: <laughs> not, not, my favorite. Yay album. I'll tell oh, you. oh, not my favorite. No. Oh no. I think my my the mean tweet I came up with in my head was Kanye managed to make gospel sound bad like it sound he he did some weird sound effect and maybe might just be my new headphones yeah, so yeah. don't no, please no. don't come at me on twitter <laughs> but there was he did some kind of weird effect that made it sound shrill kind of or like me, metal a little metallic yes. and it was like you've taken all the warmth and the roundness out of this very organic you know music that's, not, that's supposed to sound like the in the echoey chamber you know of a church and instead you've put it into this kind of mechanical Resonance and it made me like that's just my first instinct was "Ah, I don't just like the way it hits your spine, you know. I was like, I don't know about this one.
0: And my complaints on the album, even sometimes, isn't even put on Kanye per se. Like, my complaint on the album is that, like, I feel today songs are so much shorter. Because of streaming, because after like the first 30 seconds is when when you get paid. So it makes no difference how long the person stays with you on the record. So for me, I was kind of upset. I feel like for a new artist, I agree that, yo, you can make your songs two minutes, three minutes long because you're new. But for a legacy artist, it's like if Michael Jackson gave me like a one minute and 30 second song and a collection of songs that only lasted like 27 minutes, I'd be like, Michael, because these are events. They're not albums. Like You, you, you stop your day yeah to listen yeah. to a kanye album
1: yeah that's interesting i think i mean I, I i guess there's you could also say the opposite that because there's people aren't as interested in radio play that they could go 8 minutes if they want to you know some songs go super long but you're right i think i think kanye likes the idea of a song like he's like i don't know he's like jay dilla or someone who likes to come up with concepts and new sounds and then it's like after a minute and 30 he's like he's bored he just moves on you know like yeah you could just sometimes he just is like all right i i did my thing and i'm i don't need to keep doing this
0: Did, did he inspire you at all in creativity no
1: i mean not really i just love the music but i was i was into like i was into like conscious rap and backpack crap, you know, like, uh, like I'm an, I'm a nerdy white dude who listened to rap. So, you know, that's what I was listening to most until Quali and, you know, tribe called quest and stuff. And so he was, to me, that was like the moment when that went big and it was cool. Like it was cool to see him have a foot in both worlds and manage to be like huge, but also be, you know, rapping with you know, Talib and stuff. I also just love, the way that he created new sounds and new avenues for hip hop. I mean, this is an argument I have with my husband all the time who doesn't get it. He's he likes more old school hip hop, you know, he likes like early 90s like boom bap stuff. And he listens to Kanye and he doesn't he just doesn't even he can't hear it. Like it's like I don't get I don't get it. It doesn't make me bob my head. I don't, you know. It's just a thing. It was like it's a new sound. And yeah. in that way, I mean, it's people often compare him to Prince or something and that might sound like a ridiculous comparison to some people, but he is in that, he's just wildly creative, and you you gotta love that. He creates new sounds, he creates, you know, it's, he's just, and sometimes gets him in, you know, he's got that brain that <laughs> gets him into trouble, because he, you know, he's always like, he's trying to find new avenues, and I respect that about anyone whose brain is like a, I'm writing this book about trees right now, and I'm everything's a tree metaphor, and I'm thinking about like how to think like a tree, you know? What inspired your creativity? Oh, man, I don't think, um, I don't think that I was ever, I don't think I ever had a choice. I knew I was gonna be a writer from the time I was about 10 years old, probably, because I, I was good at writing and I wasn't good at anything else. Like I was the most wildly asymmetrical student where I was getting straight A's and, you know, I had a perfect score in my, you know, SAT, whatever, verbal and the writing thing and all that. And then everything else was terrible. You know, I was getting C's in math. And I, I I just was really good at this one thing, and I loved it, and I was obsessed with it, and everything else kind of fell by the wayside. So I went to college wanting to be a novelist, and I was there. You know, I went to Brown's very like postmodern, aggressively innovative writing program, where it's like just be weird, do new stuff. Do not, you know, not, everything familiar is cliche. So you got to be original. You got to be original. And it was very at the time it was just like two thousand three, two thousand four, two thousand five to two thousand seven. That was when like meta, everything was super meta, you know? So it was like the McSweeney's crew, people like that were, that was in the air. And so uh, that, the problem with that type of writing, it's very self-referential. And when you write fiction like that, and I was taking like two writer's workshops at a time, maybe three, one semester I took three writer's workshops, which is a, have you ever taken a writers workshop? No. It's a nightmare. You go into a class, you hand in a short story and a room full of very smart, very socially underdeveloped kids tear it to pieces. You know, like that and they just and you have to sit there and watch them just like cuz that's you. You know, it's not just something you've created like that's your heart and soul and they just shred it. And I was doing that for three classes simultaneously, so I just completely burned out. I couldn't do it anymore. And instead, I found myself writing uh, nonfiction, writing like I was working for the college independent kind of newspaper magazine thing, and I was writing these essays, and I was like, wow, the real world is so much more exciting to write about and has so much more energy than these stupid stories I'm coming up with in my head that no one likes anyway. You know, they're just self-referential and empty. Everything felt really empty. And so then I graduated, and I, I saw, you know, like... When you're graduating from college there's always this horror of like what am I gonna do and what's my path where what's the avenue that's open and suddenly it opened up it's like oh there is a there is a career path for people who write nonfiction you can go you can work for magazines you can write books and you know there are ways to make money at this as well as to be an artist whereas being a fiction writer it's like you got to become a professor Um or just starve. Like those are the only two options. You know, like very, very, very few fiction writers make it just as a fiction writer. And so I sh- shifted into that track and started writing for magazines and, you know, working for magazines and I got a book deal and then the book came out and did really well. And, you know, so that was, I was like on that track and I had this weird little side thing that I'd done, this little magazine story that never came to, to print about Joe Exotic. And that was I never intended to do a podcast? Like that was never my my goal. I did maybe one radio story ever for NPR just as a as a lark, and uh, this you know I just this Joe Exotic thing took on a life of its own, and I've been doing it. You know, I I mean it took over. I was 2015 is when I stumbled across the story, so I, I was working on it off and on for four years, which is wild.
0: But was there any level of fear for you stepping into the world of literature?
1: Oh yeah. I mean that's why I didn't really step into the world of, of like fiction right it was too it was too scary. And also I wasn't I wasn't good at it, right? Like when you're doing anything creative, if you're smart, you're paying attention to where you're getting positive feedback and where there's like energy, where there's like an energy feedback between what you put out into the world and what comes back. And if it gives you energy, then you should pursue it. And if it's like sucking energy out of you and you feel like you're just putting things out into like the cold void of space and entropy just makes it vanish and you never, you don't get any feedback, then you got to do something else. You know, it like, you're going to, you're going to go crazy and you're going to starve. So the, the, that it was less scary doing that. And also like, I went to grad school for it, you know, so there was like baby steps or training wheels or something to help you get there. And, and that's, what's nice. I mean, it used to be in the old days you would go, there was a, like a ladder, you know, you would go and you'd work at your small hometown newspaper and they would teach you how to report and they would teach you how to interview and they would teach you how to write a story, you know, inverted pyramid, all that and you would go from that paper to a bigger paper and then you go from that to a, like a big city paper and then if you're lucky you go to like the new york times and then maybe you go from the times to like a big magazine like you know the new yorker or whatever and it was just like a series of steps it was very structured and people like journalists i find tend to be more into that they like structure more than fiction writers and poets and people like that who just are like they like the formlessness and the freedom and I mean, that's, that's scary, right? To really go out in that. Cause, cause you could really, either you got to be writing at night, you know, you have to be one of those people who can work a day job, come home and write in your off hours, or you need to really be willing to like live on
0: nothing. Um, and that's, that's tough. Uh, before we get into over my dead body, <clears throat> let's talk about your books really quickly. Um, you're an author, I'm I am. To yeah. to talk about your books, okay? Um, tell me about uh, On Trails. You have that book out now. Tell me about that book.
1: Yeah, so On Trails, I went and hiked the Appalachian Trail in 2009. So I just graduated from college, and uh, I'd always loved hiking. I'd, I'd spent my summers going to summer camp in Maine, and was kind of like, you know, I don't come from like an outdoorsy family or anything. And I, I suddenly fell in love with it on the Appalachian Trail, which is this incredible thing. You know, it's 2,000 mile long trail. Um, that goes the length of the eastern seaboard. It's like the entire length of the United States. And so I'd always had this dream since I first saw it of hiking the Appalachian Trail, and I went and, and finally did it because I had like this year where I was working this job. I was working for National Geographic Glimpse, which is this little Offshoot of National Geographic, and it was just working from home, you know, like freelance editing, and I had like no structure and I had no commitments, and I was I just gotten into grad school, so I saw my window, and I took it and went and hiked it, and as I was hiking the trail, you was five months just walking every day, staring at this thing. I started to think about like what is a trail? What is it really, and why do you keep hearing that metaphor of the trail and of the path? Why does that keep popping up in across languages and across religions? And you know, we we use it so often to like make sense out of things like a religious path or your spiritual path or your career path. Uh, and so I started thinking about that, and I started noticing trails. I mean, this is the way my brain works: is like I think about a thing, and then I start noticing patterns everywhere. And so I start seeing little ant trails, you know, little pheromone trails, or I start seeing game trails that the deer are making through the woods. And I start thinking about migration routes and trade routes and so I I had this idea for a book. And then of course the first thing you do is you go search for it, see if anyone else has written it. And no one had written. There have been a ton of books about roads. There's a book called On Roads, but there was never a book about trails because they're like too boring. People don't really notice them. You know, like a road we built, we paved it, we designed it. A trail just emerges. You walk enough times across a field and you'll create a trail. Mm-hmm. And that's what's beautiful about it to me is that it's very organic and it's very fluid. And it's like this representation i what i the conclusion i come to is it really is a representation of of wisdom like that's what wisdom is it's like this knowledge that's been handed down again and again through time that keeps to evolving and like gives you direction through life and it it has it has use once a trail stops having use it
0: vanishes uh robert we're going to a quick quick break when we get back we're going to your podcast over my dead body
1: and Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com
0: slash host. And yeah, we back. How did you first discover the medium of podcasting? So let
1: me think. Um, I mean, I've been listening to podcasts for the longest time. I've been listening to podcasts since 2004 or something. Um, You know, I was listening to like, I mean, obviously, I've I've always been listening to This American Life, you know, on NPR. Even like I was listening to that probably on the radio. But um, I remember back in the days listening to, listen to uh, Adam Carolla, you know, and um, like early, I listened to early early Radio Lab and the Moth and stuff like that. I love you know the storytelling podcasts. Uh, and so I was I always listened to podcasts. I didn't really think about making one. Yeah, until this this thing just fell in my lap. Basically, I pitched this story to a magazine editor and he's like, "This should be a podcast. This is there's cuz there's too much to it. Like you can't contain all this weirdness in one story. It, there's all these little side avenues and they're all fascinating. So you should do this in a six-part podcast." And he'd actually worked with Wondery on Over My Dead Body Season 1. Okay, So, he put me in touch with them, and right away it was like, "Oh, this is a perfect fit. It was just they're the guys to make this cuz you know, they made Dirty John and Dr. Death and, uh, you know, these things that were very similar, right? They're kind of pulpy. They're kind of like they're, they're a little um, like a little juicy and, and a little grimy and a little crazy and, and well, fun and, and like I, addictive. I love,
0: and I love Wondery because they have like a, a, an entertainment value. You know what I mean? They really, they really have, a, to me, a, a Hollywood approach yes. to podcasting.
1: Yeah, that's very astute. They do. They have a very Hollywood approach. And, you know, and it is geared part of their business model is geared towards getting things adapted to, you know, movies and TV. So that's that's built into the business model, but also that's the way they think like they're based in LA and they don't want to lose you. It's really easy with audio to lose the listener, right? I'm probably losing them all the time in this interview right here because it's like a moment of dead air or a moment of not interesting content people tune out and they they Move away. Whereas with a book or a magazine article, they can drift off and they'll come back to the same sentence. But with with audio, time keeps passing and just the river flows on. So you got to keep them tuned in every single moment. And they just were ruthless with the editing on this because they were like, we cannot lose the listener for even one second. They have to be hooked all the time, and that's why they're so good at what they do and why people just binge right through Dirty John is because you know that's their main thing is just keep the listener on this really tense ride the whole time.
0: Give the, uh, give the audience the elevator pitch, um, for season two, Joe exotic,
1: Joe exotic. Okay. Well, Joe exotic is, uh, is a, a, uh, let's see. He's a very eccentric gay redneck, uh, zoo owner in rural Oklahoma who likes to breed. who's part of his business model was breeding a lot of tigers and lions. And, then crossbreeding the tigers and lions to create ligers, which are real. A lot of people think that's just from Napoleon Dynamite. It's a real thing and then you would breed the ligers with lions and tigers and create lye ligers and tie ligers and all these weird hybrids and then uh, you know part of that was so that people could pet the baby tigers you know it was a really good business model but then they grow up and what do you do with them right when you're breeding dozens of tigers and lions every year it really creates a problem and so animal rights groups were all over him and one of the animal rights groups that that was most vehemently after him was a woman named carol baskin in florida and this created a feud between the two of them that escalated and escalated until he impersonated her, and then she sued him, and she won a million dollars, and then escalated further. He didn't want to pay the million dollars, and finally he hired a hitman to kill her.
0: Uh, and I won't spoil it, but yeah. Um, tell me what about it uh, triggered that for you to be important to tell? Um, tell us way in greater depth.
1: Yeah. So the so the weird backstory to it is I met Joe before the whole hitman thing had ever happened. I met him in 2015 and I'd gone down there to try and write a magazine story about him. I thought that he's just, so there'd been a fire at the zoo, right? And there was a a newspaper article that said, Michael Jackson's alligators burned alive in the zoo fire. I was like, that's a strange headline. So I, I read the story and down there in like the second or third paragraph, they talk about this guy named Joe Exotic and so I Googled Joe Exotic and, you know, have you ever Googled Joe Exotic? No. You should Google, Google Joe Exotic right now and look at a photo of him. He's covered in tattoos. He's got lots of piercings. He told me he has a, a Prince Albert the size of a master padlock. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. He uh, He's just striking. He has permanent eyeliner uh, around his eyes and he takes a lot of shirtless photos of himself. And he's probably in his mid-50s, um, has boyfriends typically who are between the ages of like 18 and 22 um, and multiple boyfriends at a time.
0: Oh yeah. He's got that like that Joe dirt with glam. Yeah.
1: That's a good way of saying it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Joe dirt. I like it. It's like Joe dirt plus Lucille Bluth maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he, so, so then I, and so then I start reading about him and when you, I mean, Joe, it's just a, it's a rabbit hole. You can't not fall down it because it's so, I mean, he was a magician. He was trying to make a reality show about himself he later ran for president. Um, you know, he he just has all these things about himself. So when you're a magazine writer, you, you love, like, quirky people, you know. So I go down, and he invites me. He's really welcoming. He says, you can stay here as long as you want. So I stayed for a week. He gave me a trailer to live in. I lived in the trailer. I spent all day with him at a zoo and just watched how he lives his life. And he has cameras around him all the time, and he's playing with the tigers. He gets into the cages with the tigers. And... You know, we really bonded over the course of that week. Like, you know, he he would tell me these stories about what it was like to grow up as this gay kid in Wyoming and Texas and Kansas. Like that wasn't easy in the 70s and 80s. That was really hard. And and I had a certain amount of respect for him for being as out as he was, you know, his whole life in these really oppressive places. And so uh I think we kind of bonded and then he started to open up to me and say things about Carol Baskin and talk about this this bitch, Carol Baskin, that's the word he always uses, that this bitch down in Florida has this million-dollar settlement against me and it's killing me. And he said, you know, I'm going to, he said, he, he claimed to have cancer at the time, um, prostate cancer and bone marrow cancer, which I, I don't think he, I'm, I know that he does not have. And uh, he said, if my doctor ever gives me two months to live, I'm going to go down to Florida and I'm going to kill Carol Baskin. I'm going to, I'm going to shoot her in the head. He said, I have an AR 15 picked out. He said, I fantasize about seeing her brains on the wall. And, uh, I was like, you know, Joe, I'm, I have a, you know, I'm like holding a recorder right here. You know, when I mean, we were across a dinner table, but like he knew I was recording everything. And he said, I don't care. I don't care. She's drove, she's drove me to that point, you know, and, uh, were,
0: were, were you scared?
1: Um, no, not of Joe. Oh, I was scared later because later I, <laughs> yeah. I was. Once I started interviewing his employees, he started sending me threatening text messages about how they had a million dollar non-disclosure agreement. And, you know, then people started telling me, like, you need to be careful. Like, I mean, they said he has a system set up down there for death. This is what one of the, the interviews said. He said uh, they could have you killed, chopped up and fed to the tigers in 15 minutes. Because they would they would kill horses routinely, kill the horses, butcher them, and feed them to the tigers. And he's like, they would you you would disappear. And so then when I went back to the zoo, I was I was scared. But I don't think he I, he wouldn't have killed me. I mean that's it's it was a bit of a paranoid fear. But uh, uh, yeah, I did have that fear.
0: <laughs> I'm a creative. You're a creative as well. I love the feeling of of having an idea in my head. Um manifesting that idea into something real and t- tangible. But I'm also, the best feeling is seeing it be well-received and enjoyed by other people. Uh, what does it feel like to have the story of Joe Exotic you've, that you've wanted to tell be appreciated? And it's been on the Apple charts for like forever, I feel yeah. like.
1: Yeah, no, it was amazing. Yeah, it came out as number one for a while. And then, you know, as it as it happens, there's sort of a long tail. So it kind of drops down and yeah. then everyone's all spike back up again. Um. Yeah, it's been amazing. I mean, it was... You know, it was one of those stories where I knew that there was something to it, but like I couldn't get editors to to understand that. I pitched it to probably 15 magazines. I mean, I pitched it everywhere, and they were like, I don't know. And then, you know, finally, thankfully, New York Magazine. I have a good relationship with them, and and after Joe got arrested for the murder for hire thing, then it was a lot easier, right? Because there's a built-in storyline, and that's just like an unfortunate fact of journalism. Is like, if there's a murder involved then it's a lot easier to sell a story and people are more interested. But what I wanted to talk about was Joe and his relationship with these animals and his psychology, the the, world of exotic animal ownership in America. I mean, there are more tigers in America than there are in the wild in the entire world. You know, it's just all this fascinating stuff that people don't know. So I wanted to weave that all in there. But I banged my head against a wall for a long, long time to get this story out. And then with, with One Dream, with this New York Magazine story, it, it got out there. And it was, yeah, the reception's been great.
0: What, you, what do you want the listener to walk away with after hearing Over My Dead Body?
1: Well, first of all, I mean, I want you to be entertained. That's the, like, uh, with this especially, with this podcast, I want you to be not just entertained, but, like, riveted. You know, I want you to be... And and a little horrified, and maybe a little bit. It's, parts of it should be funny, you know. It's it's a lot lighter than a lot of true crime podcasts. A lot of true crime can be really grim, and it. I don't I don't love that. I don't love that tone of just like unremitting grimness. I want it to be funny, and I want it to be weird, and and in and I and I. Hopefully, there are. Um. There's a feeling of like this sort of. Uh, f- I don't know. It's sort of phantasmagorical extreme version of of Americana, you know, sort of hallucinatory Americana that's coming through. So you're seeing this rural America, but through this lens of this very over-the-top, you know, guy who who warps everything through the lens of himself. Uh, And so, I don't don't wanna say you're seeing, like, the heart of America, but you're seeing some weird hallucination about America. And it's all true. You know, that's the other thing. A lot of people think it's a fiction podcast because it's so strange. But it's, I mean, every bit of this is true. Um, and then hopefully you come away with it also with a better understanding of, of the situation and the plight of these animals. And and you're more interested. I mean, what I would really love is if people would be more interested in trying to preserve the habitats for tigers and lions in the wild, right? Not just focus on zoos, but really think about preserving because that's really where we're in trouble is, is maintaining those habitats um but you know that's a lot to ask of people who are listening to this podcast (laughs) well yeah i mean and yeah i guess I, i want you to come away uh with a little bit better understanding too of of like a very peculiar man you know try to understand who he is a little bit better
0: well, Robert, we've had a we've hit a point in the show called our podcasters' picks. So this is the part of the show where I ask today's guests to give me their top three favorite podcasts that we should be listening to, and describe them to the audience.
1: My number one uh, true crime podcast ever is called In the Dark season two. Have you heard In the Dark season two? Oh yeah, amazing, right? I mean, just a phenomenal feat of reporting, uh, really good storytelling, just great. It's just a, it's a masterpiece. Uh, and and I hope it's I hope it you know it should be as famous as cereal people should know about it you know but it's it's a it's a little harder it's a little harder sell maybe I don't know but I think that's um, masterful uh, number, so my okay I'll give my number one sleeping podcast tip uh, and this one I really stand behind is the New Yorker has a fiction podcast it's called the New Yorker fiction podcast and they take if you're at all interested in literature it's incredible because they have one a New Yorker writer reading the story of another New Yorker writer, uh, if that's been published ever, right, ever in the in the hundred year history of the magazine, and so you'll have these incredible, you know, minds reading and deconstructing the stories of other incredible writers, and it's all just so soothing, and it's very they speak in hushed tones, and so it's the best thing to fall asleep to, because you're you're interested, but you're not like so engaged that you can't fall asleep yeah, you know? yeah yeah it's it's just perfect and then a lot of times i'll wake up in the morning i'll have to listen to it again if i really like the story but yeah I, I love i love that podcast um my 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 favorite comedy podcast right now is is called improv for humans okay um which is the uh it's matt besser who's one of the the guys from the ucb and it's just like it's just really, really high-level improvisers. You know, because improv is one of those things where when it's good, it's good, and when it's bad, but it's horrible. Exactly. It's the worst thing in the world. And he's re- he's very good. I mean, he's one of the sort of founding fathers of the UCB. So he's really good, and it's you can just tell they're having a good time.
0: Well, Robert, we've come to the end of our interview, our our birthday interview. And uh, before I let you get out of here, Robert, why do you podcast?
1: Uh, why do I podcast? Um, I think it's just... Uh, it's a new art form, you know, it's a new way of telling stories. I mean, it's probably a cliche, but for me, having done print my whole life, it's so exciting to have that immediacy. And that, that like, it's just, it's like you go, you write these things on a, on a Google Doc and you read them out and then you send them to the production team and it comes back and it's this amazing movie for your ears and people, you're inside people's brain. It's so strange and and, and incredible. And also it's just such an exciting time to be podcasting. This was not possible like 15 years ago and now there's this explosion and we're just in a really special moment for it. It's just, there's energy. Like I was saying before, when you're an artist, you got to pay attention to where the energy is. And right now the energy is in podcasting.
0: Robert Moore thank you so much for taking the time to be with me today on OPP everybody go check out season two over my dead body it's out right now six part episodes six six part series right six episodes that's right there we go there we go Robert Moore we out of here man thanks so much man this was really fun happy birthday thank you Thank you all so much for checking out another episode of OPP and to our special guest, Robert Moore. You can listen to the trailer of season two of Over My Dead Body at the conclusion of this episode. This episode was mixed by Joshua Coleman. Music for this episode was produced by Richie Quake. And are you down with OPP? If so, be sure to leave us a five-star rating in the Apple app and leave us a comment letting me know your favorite podcast and who we should have on the show. And lastly, before we get out of here, check out my other show, Silent Giants which highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. You can find that on Apple, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. God bless y'all. Till next time.
1: Just off the highway south of Oklahoma City, there's a little zoo. They've got chimpanzees, a camel, lions, and tigers. Lots of tigers. I can promise you that you're gonna get so close to tigers and lions, that some of you are gonna be peed on before this is over with, okay? But the star of the zoo isn't any of these animals. It's the guy who runs it.
0: Are you the guy? Yep, he's the guy. That's the Tiger King. Is he a cowboy?
1: He's a gay, gun-carrying, country music singing, former magician. And hey, I'm Joe Exotic, otherwise known as the Tiger King. And the zoo is his kingdom. Please take care of all these animals, and babysitting
0: my employees things can get a little crazy around here.
1: But for all his swagger, Joe is afraid. Not of the lions or the alligators, but of something else or someone. This dumb bee down in Florida. Some bitch down in Florida. He would just always call her names like that crazy bitch, that hateful bitch. It was always something bitch. Carol Baskin.
0: Carol Baskin.
1: Carol Baskin down here in Tampa, Florida. She's a sick bitch. <laughs> Joe and Carol both love exotic animals, but there's not much else they agree on. And their feud is pushing them to their limits. And you want to know why? Carol Baskin better never, ever, ever see
0: me face to face ever, ever, ever again.
1: That is how sick and tired of this shit I am. From Wondery, the network behind Dirty John and Dr. Death the hit series, Over My Dead Body, returns with season two, Joe Exotic, a story about two people who want to save animals and destroy each other. Tell me his name now, i put him six feet underground. My question is, is Carole Baskin really this powerful? You really got to call me back. He was actually talking about paying someone to kill you. He tried to get
0: me to do it. That was kind of like the time that I really realized that I truly was working for the f***ing devil.
1: Joe Exotic premieres on August 27th. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. Or get all six episodes at once, ad free, by subscribing to Wondery Plus at wondery.com/plus. There is nothing on this planet that is more wicked than a bobcat. They can go from purring and cuddly to just wanting to kill you in the flash of an eye. <laughs>